This is the Pearls and Swine podcast, giving hope and healing to those who are under toxic leadership, whether that's in the home or in the workplace. Bad leaders are held to account by the Lord and his people are called to hold them accountable for their failures where they have that ability. There is a, a significant issue within the church in how we handle the accountability of leaders. And I, in this particular podcast, I want to explore the basically the the ethics of accountability ethics of confrontation within the church in particular though it certainly can be applied in some senses to christian organizations or even in the business world <clears throat> and so this one's called strange fire holding leaders accountable there's a, a strange dichotomy when it comes to respect and accountability there are those who see leaders as just one of the boys. They wish to get rid of as much hierarchicalism as possible. Leaders are just normal people given greater responsibility. They fail like the rest of us, so give them a break. On the other hand, <clears throat> there are those who look to 1 Samuel 24, 6 or other passages in Scripture that say or imply, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. They give great regard to leaders, considering them the Lord's anointed, and are careful to show due respect. Probably better just turn a blind eye to their failings. Both of these views recognize the need for church leaders and a need to follow and submit to them. There is no real disagreement there. The difficulty comes when you have a bad, I mean really bad, leader. How does our theology meet this challenge? Do we give the benefit of the doubt? Do we turn a blind eye or do we bring the hammer down? Scripture is replete with the call to respect, honor, and submit to leaders. You find that in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 and Romans 13 and 1 Timothy 5. No organization, whether religious or political, would survive without respect, honor, and submission. However, some may be surprised that this respect, honor, and submission to leaders in the home, workplace, nation, or church are not absolute, according to Scripture. Bad leaders are held to account by the Lord, and His people are called to hold them accountable for their failures where they have that ability. The Lord, first of all, holds leaders accountable. I'm going to read a passage from Leviticus 10 that says, Now Nabab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Aaron was the high priest, was the original priest in Israel. Their sons of his each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. 
Nadab and Abihu had been instructed clearly what kind of incense, the exact mixture of spices that the Lord wanted, was to be used in the worship of the Lord in the Old Testament tent of meeting, which was later the temple. For some reason, they had taken this lightly and done their own thing. The Lord struck them down. We can surmise that the Lord was making a very clear example of them, just as he did with Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament times. You find that in Acts 5. Another example of the Lord holding his leaders accountable is Eli's family in the Old Testament. Hophni and Phinehas, this is from 1 Samuel 2, 22 and through 25, Hophni and Phinehas, sons of Eli, were priests who led in the worship of the Lord when Israel was moving towards a monarchy. They were failing to follow the requirements of priests, and they were sexually assaulting the women under their leadership who served the worship of God's people. Like Nadab and Abihu, the Lord took them out. In each of these cases, the punishment was death, and it came directly from the Lord. The Lord held them accountable for their leadership sins. Second of all, his people are to hold leaders accountable. It is important to note that the Lord also reprimanded Eli for his failure to hold Hophni and Phinehas accountable for their sin. Why then, it says in 1 Samuel 2.29, do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? Now, I want to make a side note here that Eli was in charge of his sons. He was the leader of his sons who were also leaders in the temple. And so he had the power to do something about it. This doesn't speak to those who are under the authority of Hophni and Phinehas. It is not just the Lord to whom we look to bring accountability, but we, as his people, are also responsible for keeping church leaders accountable. Paul effectively navigates the honor and accountability of leaders issue when he writes to Timothy, a young pastor he has mentioned. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborers deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear." In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. 1 Timothy 5:18-21. After encouraging congregations to provide for elders, the pastors, showing respect for their position, it says leaders cannot only be challenged by congregant members, but for their sin, but be publicly rebuked. Leaders are not free from criticism or accountability by virtue of their high position. There is to be no partiality given to leaders. It was the cultural norm that leaders were given more leeway in their failures. They were very powerful and influential. Even in our time, social media may get blown up, but most leaders are given the benefit of the doubt. 
Only when things completely fall apart does accountability come to our leaders. However, we are to hold leaders accountable. Do not show partiality to them. Matthew 18, verses 1 Timothy 5. Let's look at that. In addition, Matthew 18 takes us through the normal process of confronting a brother who has sinned against us. In Timothy, Paul raises those stakes when it comes to church leaders. In this passage, the report, or the confrontation, is coming from two or three witnesses, apparently to the leaders of the church, which he's speaking to Timothy at this point. This is not the one-on-one confrontation Jesus teaches in Matthew's gospel, where the individual is to confront a brother directly and do so by himself. In Timothy, the witnesses, multiple, go directly to others, possibly other leaders, with no mention of the sinning leader being in the room, and the leader who is sinning is publicly rebuked. We have to keep in mind it is at times unsafe for congregant members or employees of the church to go to leaders to a leader to confront just as it is in the work situation where the boss has the power to fire and make your life miserable. This is often a problem in confrontation ethics. Most naysayers will immediately quote Matthew 18 and complain about someone who is uncomfortable confronting a leader one-on-one. They will say, you must go to the sinning leader one-on-one to be biblical. That is the experience of hordes of people who have sought accountability for their leaders. But Paul's words appear to provide a confrontation ethic for these situations specifically with leaders. In Timothy, the word is speaking about church hierarchy, unlike Jesus' words in Matthew's gospel. And he does not suggest one-on-one confrontation, but rather two or three speaking on the side with other leaders. Again, there is no mention of the sinful leader being present. The whistleblowers are given protection. And there is more. The abusive leader is held accountable. Yes, we honor and submit to leaders, but Scripture also makes it evident that those same leaders are called to a higher standard of accountability. As leaders, they are responsible to be an example, and so their failure is also to be an example. These are Paul's words in 1 Timothy 5.21. The public rebuke is, quote, so that the rest may stand in fear. Leaders are not given greater benefit of the doubt. A public statement is not kept under wraps indefinitely in order to show honor and respect. It says in the ESV, those who persist in sin should be publicly rebuked. Note that the word persist is not in the Greek text. It is an interpretation by the translators that after being challenged by the leaders following a report of misdeeds, the one who continues in sin is to be rebuked publicly. This interpretation seems to be saying that only the unrepentant leader is to be publicly rebuked. But that may not be what Paul is saying. Paul may be saying that because there are multiple witnesses to the leader's sin, 
the leader has a pattern of wrongdoing that is doing damage to God's people or others and needs to be stopped now. It is evident that he is unrepentant. In fact, it may help to look at the other translations of that verse. In the ASV, Authorized Standard Version, it says, Them that sin reprove in the sight of all, that the rest may be in fear. The Holman says, Publicly rebuke those who sin, so that the rest will also be afraid. The King James says, Them that sin rebuke before all, that others they may also fear. In the NIV, But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone, so that others may take warning. Do you notice? There is no mention in other translations that there is a persistence in sin. Other translators did not read in unrepentance, but have given us a more literal translation of Paul's words of exhortation. Is it possible that Paul is saying that the fact there are two or more witnesses means there is a pattern of sinful failure on the leader's part and there needs to be a public response? His failures are not isolated, but rather widespread enough that there are multiple witnesses and it needs to be stopped. He obviously is not repenting because he keeps doing it. It is likely that he has been confronted over and over. This has been my experience in interviews with those who have struggled with a toxic leader. Maybe the number of gross leadership failures in recent years will be prevented in the future by immediate and decisive action. Maybe Paul's exhortation would provide an example for leaders who believe that they are above the law. Decisive action on the church's part will bring an end to horrific leadership. For the good of victims, for the good of future victims, for the good of all those under the leader's authority, for the good of the church or organization, and for the good of Jesus Christ. Hold leaders accountable. Do not put up with their strange fire. Thank you for listening to the Pearls and Swine podcast. We seek to bring hope and healing to those under toxic leadership, whether in the home, the church, or the workplace. If you find our podcasts and blogs helpful, consider giving to the costs of production. My name is Kelly Gaynert, and I produce the podcast. The music you heard is called Finally, a song I wrote a number of years ago. It is performed by Mingoli, an African ensemble from Malawi.